When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, during Sleep Number's President's Day sale, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed plus special financing for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. See store for details. Welcome to Boss Files, I'm Poppy Harlow. In 2019, venture capitalists had a blockbuster year, investing more than $135 billion in US-based companies. That's money that went directly to some of the most promising startups in the country. But so much changed in an instant when the coronavirus pandemic hit. So what's going to happen to all of that money invested and all of those new businesses? The toughest part of it was that we were completely blindsided. To answer that question, I spoke with venture capitalist Arlen Hamilton. She's the founder of Backstage Capital. I was already thinking about so many obstacles and mountains to climb for myself and for the founders that I was representing to, to get here. It did feel like the footing was just knocked from under, under us. What you need to know about Arlen is that she's not your stereotypical venture capitalist. For starters, she is not a white man in a fleece vest. She's a black gay woman, and she invests in underrepresented entrepreneurs that historically have received just a tiny fraction of that giant pool of VC money. I wanted to invest in founders who were underrepresented, women, people of color, LGBTQ. And at the time, just five years ago, that sort of conversation was in whispered tones. And so I was out there raising capital or trying to raise capital for this fund that didn't exist. The other thing about Arlen that feels particularly relevant at this moment is that she knows what it's like to start a business in the face of extreme adversity. Just five years ago, I was sleeping on the floor of the San Francisco airport uh, during, during a period and the, the food stamps had run out. And that built resilience. Resilience we all need right now. I talked to Arlen about how she's finding inventive ways to support the entrepreneurs and the businesses in her portfolio. Everything from new media companies to retail brands to healthcare startups and much more. I mean, the great thing about starting a, f a venture capital fund while broke, homeless, and from scratch <laughs> is that you can do things your own way once you get there. Here's my conversation with Arlen Hamilton. Arlen Hamilton, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Congrats on the book. It's about damn time. We'll get into all of it. I mean, for people that haven't read your book, they should. And for people that don't know your story, you, you know, this has not always been your path. And your, your path here has been remarkable, to, to say the least. But at a moment when 
26 plus million people have filed for unemployment benefits in the last five weeks. And so many people are losing their jobs overnight. The economic pain on top of the health crisis, as you put it before you started your company, Backstage Capital, when you were, your words really broke. Can you talk about that path here, but in, in a moment of crisis when I think many people think their dreams are, are shattered? I've been broke, you know, my whole most of my life. And it's, I almost said my whole life because it's such a new thing to not be, I, I, I think I'm in the 1% now, um, if I, mm-hmm. if I break it down. But yeah. I mean, it's, it, it can feel, I think for people who are for the first time uh, on food stamps or unemployment or anything like that, I, first of all, just say that there is no shame in that. You, you earned that by, uh, being a value as a citizen in this country and, and you deserve this and this, your well-being will help others because you'll be able to shop and you'll be able to, uh, participate and, and in, in what this country is built upon. So I wouldn't look at it as something to be shameful of. Um, it's, it's a bridge to something else, something better and something greater. Just five years ago, I was sleeping on the floor of the San Francisco airport uh, during during a period, and the the food stamps had run out, and it was it was dire. I think the the hardest part of it was just not knowing how long it would last, and that really is in parallel to what we're dealing with right now. I had many many lives before now, and and had gotten, you know, into to startup land and started researching and done years and years of outreach to investors because I wanted to invest in founders who were underrepresented, women, people of color, LGBTQ. And at the time, just five years ago, that sort of conversation was in whispered tones. It wasn't as uh, ubiquitous as it is today, especially in Silicon Valley. And so I was out there uh, out there in many ways, um, but physically out in Silicon Valley area, raising capital or trying to raise capital for this fund that didn't exist and, and this thesis that I had that people who were underrepresented and underestimated had resiliency off the charts. And I, because I had housing insecurity for most of my adult life, um, I found myself back in that situation. And this time it was mid-30s and was out talking about a fund that no, no one really understood. And I was saying I was going to invest in 100 companies and fought by 2020. And so people just didn't know how to read me and understand that. And on top of that, I, I had run out of all of my my savings and, and had a lot against me. And still today, I can feel what it felt like to to go back to that airport and roll up my jeans as a pillow and put my luggage, my one bag in front of me so that I wouldn't have to face anyone as I laid down on the floor. Um, And it was, you can imagine that all of that was difficult, including like physically to to try to get sleep and you're cold and you're hungry. This was like out in the, because you can't even get through, you know, the, you know, to a gate. So this is out in just that main, like by the ticket counter. That's right. Yeah. It was down from Virgin Airlines. I remember it very clearly. (laughs) But the worst part of it was just like, you know, not knowing how long it would, it would be like this. Well, that's a, you know, a point right now. I think so, I know so many people are feeling they don't know when, 
this will end for them or how it will end or who they will lose on this journey. I mean, I just got a message five minutes ago that, you know, one of my, our very close friends, fathers died from mm, this, right? And I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, it's, tra- it's tragic. But I, um, I guess my point in that is your ability to see resilience through through the, you know, to be resilient and see some sort of, or keep your eyes focused on some sort of light at the end of a tunnel. Yes, it has to be a long game. Um, there's there's a, a hope that you have to build and create yourself internally. And if you can't do it for yourself, you, you, you find someone that, someone that you're doing this for, that you're, you're finding this hope on behalf of. And, um, you know, I just talked to my brother who is just a few years younger than me, but I, I still think of him as the 15 year old that, you know, I grew up with. Um, and he, he was, he was worried. He was scared. And, and I had to remind him that by the time we're out of this, he will still be younger than I am today. And, you know, yeah. I believe that. Right. And so, and I didn't even get started really in what my calling was and didn't really find my way and my path until very recently. It took me right. more than 35 years to even get here. So people will realize it when they read your book, but you know, it's your, your journey from t- tour manager, you know, like cold calling bands, setting up tours from them across the the country and that fascination with music to then seeing like the managers of these stars were like all into Silicon Valley. And then you're like, there's opportunity there for me. Yeah. I, I wondered why people like Ellen DeGeneres and, and Justin Bieber's manager and Lady Gaga's manager, why were they making these, these treks to Silicon Valley? And what, what was that? You know, why were they investing in these little, little companies? And once I, once I understood it and researched it, because when I get curious, it, there's no stopping me in the research. Mm. I uh, I realized, wow, this is this is my people, this is my tribe. I just didn't know what right. to call it. I'd always been an entrepreneur. I just didn't know what it what it was. I didn't know exactly what to call it. So it was a bit about it was a bit like coming out for the second time. Give us your your quick assessment, if you would, of the VC space right now. Yeah, I think. Right this moment, I think it's it's actually more resilient than many may think. There are a lot of funds who, for one reason or another, were able to raise right before this happened. So they're sitting yeah. on a lot of dry powder. And these funds, there are more than 200 funds that I, that I know of who are actively investing. And then mm-hmm. there are those you know, who, who, like micro funds like ours, who, if they already had trouble raising, this is going to compound that. And so what we're doing is, is just doubling down on our, on our services and our resources and, and trying to add value in, in many other ways, um, that are not, uh, capital intensive. But I think as, it, generally what I'm, what I'm suggesting to, to founders of all stripes is that they, um, really double down on, on relationships that they have. And if they, if they're thinking about raising and, and, and meeting new people and starting new, new investor relationships, they should be really forecasting for three to six months out rather than today. I think this is a great time to start a company or start to start something to, to, to be a solution to people. And I mm. also think it's a great time to practice the tried and true bootstrapping. Uh, method, which is, you know, uh, generating revenue and, and finding other ways, saving capital. 
Um, this is a time where you, what I think is going to happen is that in a few years, maybe even just a few, just a couple of years, you're going to see this emergence of many empires that are individuals who said, this is a time where I was stuck at home or I was stuck in a situation that I don't want to ever have to be in again. And I am I'm shoring myself up with multiple revenue streams. I'm getting creative and going back to basics, things like that. Yep. Your portfolio, the founders that you've invested in, that you believe in, that you've given what you call so-called confidence checks in, what are they coming to you with right now? What questions, what are they asking in terms of support? How are you supporting them? After we cried a little bit, you know, there's a time to cry and mourn. And after we realized what had just happened to our world, um, we said, well, what can we do? What, what, what do we do now? And the first thing we do is we have 130 companies in our portfolio, which is a, a huge portfolio, especially for the timeline, but immediately connecting our portfolio, those who needed it to legal expertise, to financial expertise, having our doors open, having office hours, doing that ad hoc one-on-one um, uh, support that, that we find we're best at. And people are coming to us, um, a lot of p- people are coming to us in our portfolio who are, are doing okay and are maybe even thriving in this moment. And they want to just be very discerning with how they spend, how they save, um, what their path looks like for the next 12 months or so. And then there are those who are, were hit really, really hard. And a lot of it is about raising, it's about triaging all of that, but some of it is like soft skills. It's like, how do I talk to to my uh, employees uh, through this through these next six months? How do we discuss things like they may have just lost twenty percent of their workforce, and and not just the people who lost their jobs, um, but the people who are left behind? Is there survivors remorse? Is there is there more work that has to be done for less pay because there's pay cuts as well? There's a lot of those conversations that are all happening at once. And and I, what I love about our portfolio, we call them our headliners. What I love about them is that they they help each other and they talk through things with each other as well. And so we're just, we're just there to be a place where you can vent and a place where we can make as many connections as possible for you. Are you still investing your fund right now? Or are you putting the, hitting the pause button? I think it's both. So we are we're used to investing in 24 to 32 or so companies per year and mm-hmm. haven't been able to do that. Our tour was associated with making investments on the spot and that was canceled. And so a lot of that we hope to do second half of the year. I wonder how you do that now when you can't meet someone. Are you getting virtual pitches? Can you get a real sense of someone over the phone or over Zoom or do you really feel like the missing the human connection affects your ability to make the best choices in investment. That is not the barrier for for us. We look Mm. at many things. And as long as there is that ability to talk to someone on the phone or have video contact, um, that will, will, will work for us. And in fact, one of our investors, Mark Andreessen of Andreessen Horowitz, Mm -hmm. he, I've never met him in person and he's been an investor for almost five years or four years. You could have met. That's so interesting. Why didn't you, why haven't you met him? I don't know. I think he has like a lay, a secret layer or something. He's he's super rich, and I have no idea. I don't think you know he's super mysterious. So I don't know. But we've never met. But we he knew enough. He found out enough. He's yeah. the internet is a beautiful thing. There you go. Look, you told Bloomberg uh, this was pre crisis 
not that long ago, you told Bloomberg that if we reach the end of 2020 and your fund has not seen a really interesting exit from your portfolio, then you said we should be concerned about the thesis itself. Um, have you had that exit? And if you haven't, does this crisis change your, your thought process on that? We have had an exit. We had an exit out of our um, accelerator, which was really, really cool. Um, but it, every, yeah, everything. But I mean that big exit you were talking no, about. No, no, we haven't had it yet. And, yeah. I, I guess I'm, the reason I'm hesitating a little bit is that, yeah, I, I, I'm a long-term thinker and there's been so much, there's so many ways to measure the success of this fund. And I did say that. I remember saying that. I don't think we can stick to that because of coronavirus, because everything mm. changed, at, changed at the beginning of March, everything. However, um, I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. I wouldn't be surprised if it still happened before the end of the year. Well, you know, time will tell. I'll be here either way. I'll be doing the work either way. And, um, you know, I, I'm happy to have the conversation with anyone who, who wishes to, at the end of the year to, to talk about uh, what that success is and, and how do we value it. But we'll see what, what, uh, what the world is in a few months. Absolutely. On that note, the, the fund you were trying to raise before the 36 million uh, Axios, as you know, reported that the, it's about the damn time fund that, that it fell through. You say the way they reported it is not accurate. They stand by it. I guess my bigger question is, where does that stand today? Meaning, are you going to attempt post-crisis that raise again? And how do you think this moment changes that hope? Yeah, well, it's it's a it's a longer story than I think we have. But the I guess the simple version of the answer is, I will continue looking to raise um, the capital that we need to do the job that we're here for, and that job is to support underrepresented, underestimated founders. And that could be a $36 million fund in the way that it was intended in May of 2018, or it could be a $100 million fund, or it can be a $10 million fund, and I will continue to um, to try to raise it. I think a bigger question is, why weren't we able to raise it? I also think that I will need to continue to prove myself to the people who hold the purse strings, and I will continue to do that. I, my challenge to them is that they don't continue changing the goalpost. If they can do that, I can certainly rise to the occasion. After a quick break, we talk about the scholarship that Arlen has set up to fund Black students to attend Oxford University. And she tells me what she'd do with a billion dollars. And now more of my conversation with venture capitalist Arlen Hamilton. There's a great podcast series about you that you starred in and startup. And um, and you, you said about two years ago now, I guess, that you said there are going to be so many black millionaires in the tech space in 10 years. Um, have you tempered your optimism at all on that front <laughs> in the wake of, of this? No, my goodness, because no. I, I only ask, I ask you, here's why. Because I think we're all horrified to see the disproportionate impact coronavirus has had on African Americans in this country in terms of more infected, more dying, right? 
and uh, but just numbers out of Goldman Sachs showing that black run small businesses are taking a harder hit uh, when you look at the broader pie. So I just, well, what are your thoughts on that? People in this country have have enslaved us, have burned our cities, our thriving cities to the ground. And still we rise. And you have people like Rich Dinalu, you have people like Oprah, you know, we'll, we'll go there. You have uh, uh, our friend at Vista Equities. Th- these are billionaires I'm talking about. I think that there will be uh, a multitude of black and brown investors, uh, black and brown millionaires, billionaires, successful founders, and and so much more, so much more uh, over the next 10 years. And um, I, I feel that same that same feeling I felt about five years ago when I was on the cusp of starting backstage and I saw so many amazing companies and founders who were simply being overlooked. And I was saying then that by 2020, I was going to invest in a hundred of them. And people thought, but people laughed me out of rooms. We've seen more than 6,000 today reached a hundred companies in 2018. There are so, so many amazing companies that are led by founders of color. But I think that they're still underestimated and we are still underestimated. Can you talk about the scholarship work that you're doing through Oxford and also HBCUs and what you're seeing as results there? Sure. Um, I, in the end of 2019, I announced a scholarship program that I had built with my mother over the several months in 2019, where we were going to launch by um, by giving a scholarship, the first black scholarship for a black student at Oxford undergrad. I was asked to come and speak a couple of times. And the first time I was yeah. there, I was given this beautiful tour, just a really wonderful tour. And, it, you know, I thought, wow, this is something I would have loved to have gone to. And I didn't see, I saw some, but I didn't see enough uh, diversity. And I asked, blat- you know, bluntly, I said, where are the black people? And they, they exist there and they're, they're trying. Um, I truly believe that. So knowing that I didn't go to college myself and that I was broke very recently and that I had the ability through um, the different ways that I've built my income, um, I said I wanted to do something. So that day, by the end of the 45-minute tour, I said, yes, I, 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 what I want to do is start a scholarship here. And at the same time, um, I there are 108 HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities in the, in the United States. And so for every Oxford, um, I think there absolutely needs to be a, a scholarship for uh, one of the HBCUs, which is, um, is, is you know, building that foundation as well. And we chose, the first one we chose is Dillard in New Orleans, which is where my mother graduated um, a few years ago. And so we're, we were able to announce that. And it's it's called the Arlen Hamilton and Erlene Butler Sims Scholarship. And we've gone on to also back a Black woman who is studying to be a pilot in Greece and uh, a black woman who is studying to be a sound engineer in New York. And we'll, we'll make these scholarships. Uh, the one at Oxford is, is built out for several years. So we'll add one each year. 
and we'll, we'll continue to do what we can. Good for you. You talk about augmented privilege and it struck me. What does it mean to you? Well, you have augmented uh, reality and augmented privilege to me is um, what I've been doing the last five years. I have been, you can call it siphoning, you can call it observing, uh, emulating, etc. I've been doing that for the privilege of other people, whether it be men or white people or whoever is privileged in the situation. I just watch their behavior and and start thinking what would a guy do in this situation? And once I started doing that, I started getting more yeses and started negotiating better. So I feel like I'm wearing, you can call it the Iron Man suit or whatever sort of power suit when I go into these rooms and I'm taking the representation of so many other people in with me. And um, however, however I got here, I'm here and I'm able to make certain phone calls. I'm able, able to make certain things happen and, um, it, it, it feels like it's not a privilege that is innately mine, but it is something that I am definitely taking. In our last few minutes, um, I wonder if you could talk about and give advice to those listening about winning in a crisis, because you said recently, I'm really here to win. And you've always, that's been your mantra. How, how do you win? How does one win? <sighs> with their business, with their ideas, with their dreams in a moment like this, which is so crushing on so many levels. Yeah, I'm here to win. And I, I definitely um, want people to know that. I say that I didn't come here for your crumbs. I think I have a, diff- a different vibe to a lot of people, though, because winning to me is about um, structuring a life that is perfect for you. Uh, so I feel like I win when I have when I can leave with integrity intact and when I can impact others in a positive way, when I, yes, um, come out on top when it comes to negotiating something that's, a, that's financial, because all of that really feeds into doing the thing that I want to do, which is impact others. I, so to put it another way, I want to be a, a wealthy person because I want to use that wealth for good. And so um, kind of repurposing what success means is like the first step of it, of, of, of attaining it. What would you do? We've seen what some have done with their billions, like Bill and Melinda Gates and Warren Buffett and a number of others through the Giving Pledge. What, what would Arlen Hamilton do with her first billion? Well, I think a billion dollars is a ridiculous amount of money to have as one person. So I would probably give... Like 90% of that would be going to other people and as many people as possible where there was impact. And a great deal of that would be around um, entrepreneurship so that they could just turn that into more and more and more. It doesn't go into a void and a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm really big, too, on, on giving people that room to kind of have the hobby and, and, and do things that they enjoy. Because as we, as we see here right now in this time, there, there are only so, there's only so much life. There's only a finite amount of time we have here. And I want us oh, to all enjoy true. every minute of it. So I would, I would spend it that way. You, you were in such a different place, Arlen, back in 2008 during the, during the Great Recession. I was sort of just beginning my career at CNN and you know, you were not even in the VC space. And I just wonder your thoughts as you look now at this, um, 
what we're facing, we're facing, you know, upwards of 20% unemployment, according to the, the chief economist at the White House. And we're looking at an economic contraction, possibly of 40% in the second quarter. What, how do you think this recession, or what we're looking at, whatever it is, if, whether there's a V recovery or not, is going to feel different than what we went through in 2008? Yeah, that those numbers take my breath away when you say them. It's It's really daunting. I remember in 2008, I was so far removed from anything when it came from, to fin- financial um, things that I didn't even know that, I didn't really understand that there was a recession. I thought that, you know, I had lost my magazine that I had spent years building and right. I I spent months on the floor crying, you know, mm-hmm. um, because I thought I was this complete loser <laughs> And I had just completely, you know, everybody else was figuring it out and I wasn't. And what I learned from that is like, I've had so many lives since then. And, and, and the, the, the life I'm living right now, when what I've been working on the past decade has been so rewarding and so impactful and um, so beautiful that, and I would have never in a million years at 27, 28 years old thought that at 39, that was going to be when I was like really feeling like I was myself and I was thriving and I'm just beginning. I feel like I'm just beginning. So mm. I, I think that, you know, it's going to be tougher than anything we've ever, this, um, than ever, anything any of us have ever experienced before. The only solace I can take in that is that we're all experiencing it together. And I think if we, if we collaborate, we use this time to collaborate more than ever. I think we'll be okay. And I think, and I know, I know we'll get through it. I know we'll get over it and through it. And, and you just may come out of it on the other side of that, just a better version of yourself. You just may. We can hope. Final question. The, uh, the, uh, at the top of the podcast, I gave everyone the title of your book. It's about damn time. The subline or whatever, however you call it, is how to turn being underestimated into your greatest advantage. So how do we do that, Arlen? Uh, what, is your, what is your final message to so many of us who in one way or another have been underestimated? It goes back to what I said earlier about being authentically yourself. I like to say that you should be yourself so that the people looking for you can find you. And I don't just mean that so that somebody can go embroider a pillow and, <laughs> and it's pretty talk. You know, I think that if I had followed any advice that anyone had given me to be something different, to change mm. the way I dress, to change the way I talk, to not be as bold and not be as strong and not be as mm-hmm. outspoken. I don't think I would have anything that I have now where I mm. can look out on this view of Los Angeles and look da- literally look down on where I used to um, where I used to have to be overnight, you know, out on the out out in the, in the elements. I can literally look at that from my apartment. Um, if I had changed anything about myself and the ways that were considered negative or considered too much for someone else, I wouldn't be here. And so, mm-hmm. it's not the easiest thing in the world to be yourself, but it is it is an act of. Uh, of act, it is an activism for yourself yeah. to be to be authentic. It takes courage. It takes, it takes yeah, courage. incredible courage. But you have well, it. We all have it. We do. Sometimes hard to locate. We do. <laughs> Arlen, thank you. Um, it's I still remember the first time I met you in Austin, Texas, at this like dinner outside. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, thanks for taking my emails since then and 
congratulations on the book and good luck. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being with me today. If you enjoyed this episode of Boss Files, make sure to keep listening as we talk to more leaders about how they're navigating all of the uncertainty of the coronavirus pandemic. And be sure to tune in to CNN's other podcasts, stay up to date about the coronavirus and all the latest developments. Every weekday, you can hear my colleague and friend, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, on his podcast, Coronavirus Fact Versus Fiction. You can find that and more CNN podcasts at cnn.com slash podcasts. And as always, tell me what you think. What do you want to hear more of? Who do you want to hear from? Leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. You can also find me on social media at Poppy Harlow CNN. We'll be back soon with another episode of Boss Files. Thanks so much for listening. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.